as we roll into Easter week, I decided to upload this episode from the first season of the Respublica podcast, The Role of Religion. Happy Passover and Easter, or whatever religious holiday you observe during the spring equinox. And if you don't live in the United States, make sure to set your clock ahead one hour. All right, so we're we're just gonna we're just gonna do it. Hello, welcome to the Respublica podcast, episode seventy-eight, a now fully operational podcast. Michelle is back. Hi, Michelle. Hi. Yay. Glad to be back. And we also have a very uh, special guest. Anne is in the back in Lyndon's uh, apartment in New York City, doing magical things. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Anne. Hi, Anne. So we, we, we switched to microphones for audio quality. Yes, uh, uh, microphones and headsets. Uh, so while uh, Lyndon is getting the microphone, I'd like to have a shout out to Willie Buchanan, new fan of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and who else? Dick Dickinson. That's right. Yeah. And wherever you are in trolls. wherever you are in Macedonia or uh, Montenegro, we welcome you <laughs> and embrace you with open arms as you are part of uh, Western Europe and are not affected by the Donald Trump Muslim travel ban. And By the way, that was supposed to be for 90 days just to, until they could figure things out. We're a year and a half in, and yep. without the travel ban, we've miraculously been safe from those evil Muslims. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of miracles, what's the topic today, George? Well, it's so ironic that the Supreme Court upheld the Muslim travel ban on an evening we were going to record a podcast on religion mm-hmm. and the role that religion plays in politics and in modern society. And we're, each of us are keyed up uh, with a topic. So, um, Michelle, since you are joining us, uh, I'd like you to begin. Oh, what? <laughs> on which topics? <laughs> Sorry. Just religion in general. Religion in general. Okay, yes. go. Um, well, okay, just so you guys know my own background, um, I'm a Christian at a non-denominational church here in California. Um, used to be part of the Church of Christ and no longer. Um, but uh, I don't want anyone to be surprised by like my background, so I'm a Christian. Um, we're... <laughs> um, in terms of talking about religion, obviously, uh, there's a lot of tension at the moment in terms of, um, you know, the religious right and then people who are um, progressive and Christians and the tension there. And then also, obviously, the um, people who are not Christians in our country who kind of get lumped into or lumped out of, I guess, uh, the religion umbrella, which I hope we'll uh, talk about at some point on the podcast. I would imagine that Lyndon's is far more interesting. Mine, uh, my background wise, I, I, you know, I, I have said many times on the podcast, I'm very much an atheist at this point in my life. Um, I would say I've dabbled in, in various religions in, in my past, uh, but I am not one that can quote any book at all, religious or not, <laughs> frankly. Um, yeah. Uh, and, you know, so my exposure, you know, I, I do have um, have a Catholic priest as an uncle. You know, I, there are religious people that have been in, in and out of my life at uh, various points. And I, um, 
from, from where I sit, you know, it, it can be incredibly frustrating when I see uh, religion and usually Jesus used as a um, uh, as some sort of like way to claim moral superiority or even ethical superiority. And that that to me can be very frustrating as as an atheist um, and, and when it comes to politics. So, you know, it also it also you know, whether this is good or bad, it, it makes me distrust the politician, whether it's Obama or McCain or Huckabee or Trump, you know, like uh, in terms of the gauntlet, like I, when you start to say, you know, because Jesus said, or um, I would, because Jesus would, um, I, I, I do get suspicious. I'm sort of in that. I don't, I don't know if you would lump me in with the sort of progressive um, skeptics, but I, I guess I am that. So, so that's sort of where I, where I come at all of this from. And you, Lyndon? See, I thought that was fairly interesting. Yeah, you're a little too hard on yourself. Yeah, buddy. seriously. <laughs> um, it's going to be a shock for everybody listening with my accent, but uh, I grew up in a Southern Baptist church. And um, <laughs> who knew? I know. He never saw that one coming. Um yeah, and I was fairly active in that until college, and then college, of course, it's like, okay, yay, I can sleep in, and I don't have to go back to where I grew up every weekend. So um, I was, became less active during college and then moved to Los Angeles, where there's not a lot of Southern Baptist churches, and I, my political view shifted during college, more, frankly, from the economic than the moral perspective, actually. Um and that experience kind of led me towards to go a little bit more left. Like I was right going into college. I voted for George W. in 2004. And by 2008, I was voting for Obama. And I really thought the thing that changed me, which it's kind of separate from government spending, was I just always felt that, I mean, from religion, is that I always just felt like government spending was a bad thing before I learned anything about economics because the bootstraps thing resonated with me and the idea that the best person to manage your money is yourself, not the government. And I came to realize that certain programs and certain things are better left to the government. I mean, I remember John Stossel came to my school and you, you talk about this going towards religion. You talk about banning people from campus because they don't have the same ideas or if they're extremists. And some people, I think, would consider Stossel somewhat extremist and how libertarian he is. And he said he thought privatizing the military was a good idea. And I remember that speech and being one of those flashpoint moments where I started to shift left because I was like, that's moronic. Um, we don't win World War II with a privatized military. And um, I, I don't know. And also just how we got out of the Great Depression. So anyways, the morals kind of fell behind, actually, the economic argument for it, because I felt like government's more in place to give people a happy, successful life more than to help morally legislate. And um, as it, but still being Christian, of course, like I won't. You know, people that express those views, but my interpretation of expressing those views gives a wide purview for freedom because we have a separation of church and state. And um, I am now active in a non-denominational Christian church in New York, similar to Michelle. You know, I also had a more conservative church background. But, um, yeah, I I don't know. My faith definitely plays a part, but not a huge part in my political views because I, I really think a lot of what's said in the Bible has a lot of fungibility if you're on the left or the right and you can turn it how you want to. So, you know, I don't know if that makes me a bad Christian, but I honestly, I lean more on my business and economic views to lean towards my Christian views. And I try to kind of leave the moral stuff out unless it's reprehensible, like putting babies in cages because they're Mexican. 
Amen. Well, <laughs> well in, indeed, because uh, the the absence of any organization, I think, other than the Jesuit arm of the Catholic Church to get involved in the detention of children in cages is a really appalling. I mean, at least to me, I haven't heard of any other church or denomination that has actually, you know, spoken out against the detention of children. Uh, is anyone else? I saw a few things from some of the Episcopalian churches, um, but I haven't, but and Jesuits, as you mentioned, but I haven't seen much of anything else, unfortunately. Well, yeah, I think it says a lot for how deep the, if you're a Trump supporter, it, it's almost cultish, and I think churches are scared to lose their Trump supporters by speaking out against this. Now, obviously, easy enough for me to say I don't have a church to run, um, but I I think you still speak out because it's the right thing to do. But Mm -hmm. I do understand, I mean, these people, the way they poll, I mean, their their love for Trump goes pretty deep. George, what's your background? (laughs) Mine? um, Mine's kind of interesting. I was raised Catholic. I was a confirmed Catholic. Um, I almost thought about becoming a priest for a while and then the whole child rape thing happened with the catholic church mm-hmm. and i no longer believe that the catholic church has any moral agency over the affairs of men or women and that they're they completely have betrayed whatever covenant they had as outlined in first corinthians 15 um there is no path to God through the church anymore because they have no moral agency anymore. So not only do I no longer attend Mass, I question the whole enterprise at its very foundation because of the child molestation, child rape, and the cover-ups that ensued afterwards at the highest level. I mean, the, the former Pope, Questlove and I like to refer to him as the Sith Pope, uh, was instrumental <laughs> i love that <laughs> sorry <laughs> no that's pretty fantastic <laughs> yes sith pope we have a show title there we go um he was instrumental in the cover-up or the transfer or relocation of some of the priests that abused small children and as a father that's unforgivable at that oh. point so, do, but would you say you still believe in God? I mean, because you said you started to question the whole, um, it sounds like you started to question uh, religious organizations, um, but not mo- so much religion in and of itself. Oh, no, I still believe, I still believe in God. I mean, I'm, okay. I, I still believe in 1 Corinthians 15. I mean, the Gospels were laid down some 70 years after the Passion of the Christ, and the whole article of faith is that you believe in the stories of the gospels but because you believe you don't need a church so in some ways i I, i've kind of skewed towards an evangelical approach to my religion but i do not see the catholic church as an organization that is based on religious faith as as much as, as it is on bureaucratic execution it's a bureaucracy and it's a bureaucracy that i don't need in my life now, George, I'm less educated on this, but I'm curious. I always thought that John Paul had played more of a part than Benedict in the sense that he, even though John Paul was the warm, fuzzy, happy face that was around forever, I, I took Benedict as kind of an underling who did the dirty work, and then he got promoted. 
And actually, I, I will say something I have respect for for Benedict is it seems like he does not have the same views as the Pope now, but he still retired early, which is relatively unprecedented for a Pope to do, knowing that the guy following him was going to have a different outlook on the Catholic Church. So it's like I actually have a mixed view of him as someone who's nominally but not super educated on the Catholic Church, because is it we all know as you know being people into politics to, to step down early to let your successor who's going to do drastic things in comparison to you it, it's just a, a something that's super humble now that's not to say again all the job pedophile stuff before is pretty freaking awful but it seems like it, to some degree he's accepted some culpability and i think john paul probably gets more of a break than he deserves because of the fact that he looks so happy and sweet no john John Paul II was an extraordinarily charismatic person, and he was very popular while he was the head of the Catholic Church. But he also um, judiciously died before <laughs> the investigation by the Boston Globe came to light. It, concurrently, there was an investigation in Boston, Massachusetts, in the United States, and an investigation in Ireland. And both stories, you know, hit at the same time. And by the time the stories gained, you know, critical mass in both the United States and Ireland, which have the, the two largest English-speaking, you know, Catholic congregations in the world, mm -hmm. uh, John Paul II died. He expired. And Sith Pope took over. And it was Sith Pope, Whiny was Pope, who actually... Uh, took the cardinal from Boston out of the United States and made him a cardinal in Rome so he wouldn't face prosecution. And, so gross. So yeah. gross. So at, at that point, it was just like, you know, I'm like, yeah. all right, you, you guys obviously did this because you know what the consequences were. And here, you know... Um, I just couldn't believe it. I was aghast, and I still can't believe it, you know, when I talk about it. And, um, yeah, so it's hard to swallow. But to that end, I mean, that's that's kind of – now, see, that's sort of the, like, supreme example of, of you know, evil within a religious organization. <laughs> you know, like, I, I think that's a, a wonderful, you know, way to put a, a pin on that. But – uh I, I wonder, though, when, when we look at things like um, Jeff Sessions, you know, quoting the Bible uh, in order to justify jailing kids. And even, you know, I got into a, a kerfuffle with a, a Trump supporter. And the first thing they say to me in response to anything where I'm, you know, any fact that I might lay on their feet is, well, I'm a good Christian. And I, I just wonder, like, how, as somebody who is, you know, either, you know, believes in God or considers themselves a Christian at all, um, or, or, you know, that actually considers themselves a good Christian, how how does that sit with you? And at what point does that make you question that label, you know, being able to say, like, I am a Christian, the same way that I question my label as, like, what does it mean for me to be a, a proud American at this point? You know, there's a point in which... I, almost, you know, on, on a semi-regular basis in the last, you know, six weeks, I have questioned whether or not I can really say that uh, 
out loud that I'm a proud American because the word has changed and what it means has changed. And I wonder that sometimes about the word Christian when it's being, you know, when these huge mega churches exist and when so much of it does have to do with, um, you know, frankly, getting rid of the division between church and state and, you know, justifying outrageous things like the fact that, you know, the fact that we have like, um, I think 48 states without laws regarding child brides, <laughs> you know, like, but it's cool. Let's, you know, it's cool for churches to go ahead and marry, you know, 13 year old girls. Like there's just so many things that I, I wonder, you know, that it's hard for me when I, when I'm talking to anybody who throws that like good Christian label out. And then I wonder about the like legit or, you know, what I would think of as legit good Christians. And what, what point does that not sit with you? Uh, there's a great axiom. You know, uh, you may inherit the kingdom and they may forgive you in the next life, but right now you're being an asshole. <laughs> I'm, I, I'm not definitely using that. <laughs> you know, the, uh, the, the, the one thing about, um, you know, religion and religious faith, it doesn't absolve you from committing sin. You know, you because well, a person can. You know, here, here. No, no, it does no, not. There's a, there's a difference no, there between a, saying that a sin is forgiven and saying that there's no consequence to sin. Yeah. Right. Like so. Yeah. There, there's a there's a there's a, a there's a road map. Well, what about baptism, like adult baptism, no, where you like no. wash away your sins to be no. nude for Jesus and all that? that I mean, like no, you're all, still expected all, to live a life yeah, of sanctification all, where you are like going process of changing your behavior and, and continually repenting which is turning away from wrongful action like there's no actual expectation in scriptures that you will like literally never sin again i mean that's the whole reason why we are expected to continue to like pray and live in community and whatever because otherwise we would just like go back to the old way there's like chap like i think paul spends time talking about it in six different epistles uh, because he himself says like i know what i'm not supposed to do but i still struggle and do the things i know i shouldn't do um so i think that 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 one thing well i think that except but, to err is human is sort of okay i'll accept that as a universal truth regardless of of whether it, you know paul said it or not i agree um I don't think that that necessarily, I, I guess I, I want you to kind of speak to what does it mean to be Christian in a time when Christianity is. There's never been a time when Christianity hasn't done awful things. Like I'm a, I'm a black person and Christianity was used to justify slavery. The church was silent on the issue of the Holocaust. The church, you know, did awful things all throughout like the dark ages and that's part of the reason why we had a reformation movement. I think one, for one thing, we need to acknowledge that like none of this is new. Like the situations we are living in are awful, but like mm -hmm. the church in America and the church in the globe has committed sins through its entire existence. Yes. Like that's not unusual, but it's also not unusual for human beings in any True. civilization and in every situation to have awful, also done awful things, right? Like you're an atheist. I'm sure there are other atheists who have done awful things. Do you say not in the name of atheism, not in the name of atheism, not in the name. I don't, I don't justify we, it. Hold on. Before we get into atheism. I, I think my thing I would add to this is I'm going to actually reference the wonderful South Park is they actually have an episode where 
somebody goes back in time and basically gets rid of Christianity. It's a Cartman. It's actually, I thought it was a great justification of like where I'm going to go with this. And basically what happens is that people divide up into three tribes and they interpret Richard Dawkins' words three different ways and they fight each other and they go to war and they say they're all doing it in the name of science and because they all interpret Richard Dawkins differently. And I think there's this weird you know, romanticism of not having religion because there's not enough people to form a big enough group to do the same things that religious groups would do. Except that we actually don't have any kind of group meetings either. There is no situation in which we have group meetings. Right, but you're existing in this this version of Earth, and I think what you're doing is you're criticizing organizations and human beings, and whether, you know, God is a part of them or not, they're still human beings, Libby. I, I don't hold you to a higher standard for being atheist than I would for you being Christian. Like Christians are still flawed human beings. So like when people pull this gotcha shit, like, Oh, well you're Christian. I expect you not to sin. I mean, cool. I don't know any Christians who don't expect not to sin. So, I mean, yeah, gotcha all Christians all day, but like, of course that being said, and I'm not, I ha- I'm actually, I've, again, I've never said that I expect Christians not to sin. I said, you know, to, to air is human. And I think it makes perfect sense. That part I get. Well, you're asking me to decide if I should take off the label altogether and or people in general. Should I say like, oh, because there are Christians who do awful things, should I just not align myself with Christianity? Right. Should I just or even so, I mean, that's smaller level. Libby, can you let me speak? Libby, can you let me speak? Thank you. Um, So I think that it's important that we recognize the fact that there are plenty of groups where like, you have to, there's a difference between like a group of say you know 50 people and a group of like a billion people right that existed for 2000 years right like i don't have a better word for descri- in english to describe what i do besides the word christian and in the same way that you're questioning how can i say the word proud american when you know right now in the last 6 weeks or in the last year and a half or whatever like americans have been doing bad things americans have been doing bad things for since before it was America, right? Like, you know, there was a time all that, not all that long ago when I wouldn't be able to live in the state that I'm living in, married to the person I'm married to. And there, you know, there had to be a, a constitutional amendment to assume that I am actually a citizen of the United States by being African-American. Like, it's not new. And so, like, wrestling with these labels, yeah, it's hard, but I'm not going to say, like, I'm not American when I am factually American, just because there are Americans who do awful things. And in the same way that, like, I'm not going to say that I am not a Christian because there are Christians who do awful things. Is there a difference between me deciding if I believe in my faith or not versus me deciding should I use the word that everyone recognizes the word for doing what I'm doing? And I'd also go on top of Michelle, and I would say that I think one of the things that Democrats suck at is letting Republicans represent these groups. I mean, I I think Democrats are as much American as Republicans are, if not more. And yet Democrats kind of see the proud to be American thing to the right for whatever reason. And, you know, I I think our views, which are considered dissenting, even though they're in the majority, um, (laughs) we we should, you know, we, we should proudly espouse those views as Americans. We shouldn't abdicate being Americans because the people running it who are in the minority and who cheated through gerrymandering are getting their, yeah. their day in, in the light because their day will end and it'll be our day. And we're as much American as they are, if not more, because we're not allied with Russia. So, I mean, I guess in the same way that Christianity has been on this sounding board to, for the right, yeah, that's because they yell louder. And I mean, to segue into what we're you know going to discuss tonight, 
one of the things I found really encouraging was that the Southern Baptist Convention, for the first time in 30 years, is changing direction with their leadership. And they brought a pastor out of North Carolina, I believe Raleigh, who's in his 40s and who basically said we're no longer going to basically be a you know arm of the Republican Party. We're going to become nonpartisan and even went out of his way. And I'm paraphrasing that basically apologizing that they had already invited Mike Pence and they weren't going to uninvite him. But they understood that he was going to offend some people at the Southern Baptist Convention and to go out of their way to apologize for Mike Pence, you know, a.k.a. Christian warrior, uh, Republican guy. (laughs) Like, I I think Christianity should not be conflated with being Republican, but I can understand your flaw or you're doing that, Libby, because those are the loudest Christians. That doesn't mean they're any more Christian than the ones that don't yell. And it's the same thing with the Americans. You know, some of the biggest assholes are the ones with the biggest flags. I mean, look at Texas. They decide mm-hmm. that they're the most American, but then they also want to secede when things don't go their way. So, I mean, you know, how American is Texas when they're ready to cut and run every time, you know, the, the federal government does something they don't like? So, I mean, I just think there's this, like, insecurity that the right has to prove how much they are part of something. And I, I kind of look at it the same way with Christianity, Webby. And so I'm very proud to be American. I'm not proud of what leadership's doing, but I mean, I I don't know. Like I, you know, I think it's the same thing with your family. We all have things, times where our family does something we like or don't like, and you know, we're not going to absolve ourselves of our last names Um, for better, for worse. We are who we are. And it's up to us to represent that group as positively as possible. And, you know, Libby, you essentially represent a non-group but you still represent a group by representing that non-group. And I think you're a great person. So I think you represent it quite well, but for us tell us that, you know, we need to wash off the label Christian because of some outspoken assholes from the eighties. Cause frankly, that's where all this started was this whole family focus crap in the eighties. That's where, mm-hmm. you know, it, the church is changing direction and it's getting with the times. I mean, even my church, you know, there was speaking about the, the pride rally on Sunday. So, I mean, you know, the, the, the world's, world's a changing, and I, I think looking at the right as a monolith of all the Christians is, you know, kind of wrong. Okay, I mean, I'll say that all of that is, you know, um, I mean, I think a lot of that answers answers my question, and, and I'm not out to tell you that you, you can't say that you're a Christian or that somebody who isn't an obnoxious, loud Christian isn't less Christian because they're not obnoxious and loud. Um, but, you know, I, I, I do sometimes wonder, and I don't think it's, I don't think it's unhealthy. And I don't think that, um, I think sometimes it's like, we're, we're told that we have to say that we're proud Americans in order to maintain that we are as American as everybody else, or that we're just as American as the right. And I, I, I just question that sometimes. I don't know that I need to use the word I'm talking about like the word in front of American. I, you know, of course, yes, I am American. I will pretty much always, always be American. Um, was born an American. And, you know, those that aren't born an American are when they're naturalized or, you know, when they come over, they are American as well. And to that end, I don't know that that means that everybody, I don't know that being a, you know, a quote, good American even necessarily means that you have to be a proud American. I think it's okay to not be proud. Um, in, in times like these, not, I'm not saying like indefinitely forever. And, and I, you know, I think that during the, you know, civil rights movement, it's okay for people to be angry and not proud and want to 
you know, become proud of their country and work towards things that will make them proud of their country. Um, I, you know, and in, and that's what I get frustrated by in terms of like these questions about whether or not we are quote, you know, one thing or the other, you know, like it, it has to be all instead of it, you know, that's why I get frustrated with the idea of like the good Christian. And I think it's okay to be Christian, but not fall into like always having to be the good Christian or I am, you know, in like that proclamation or, you know, having to having to say that um, in order to be, you know, okay in your in your posse, in your crowd, or in your group, whatever it may be. Um, and I also think it's okay to question if you're in your specific church, in your group of, you know, fifty to a hundred, depending on you know what kind of size city you live in. Like maybe it's just twenty. Um, if that church isn't isn't saying the progressive things during Pride Week and isn't you know uh, questioning the moral hazard of uh, putting kids into cages and, you know, like isn't questioning those things and, and you bring them up. I'm not saying it doesn't have to initiate uh, from the pulpit. It can, it can come from the congregation, but once you bring them up, if your church isn't, or, you know, or synagogue or group, whatever it is, whatever your, your group is, um, I think it's okay to question them. And I think it's okay to leave and find a group that, that, that works for you instead, instead of having to feel some sort of, you know, um, unending tie to an organization that no longer represents you. And, you know, and and I think that's one of the reasons that, you know, church membership is down. Um, And as well as the Republican party membership is down, you know, like I, I think that all of these groups that, that sort of, refuse to be flexible and refuse to learn um they they do have those consequences and i and i feel a little bit like you guys are trying to put me into a box as if i'm the only one that's that's you know questioning these things or that somehow i'm a bad person for doing that or that i'm attacking you as individuals for being christians that's not what you asked me you you asked lyndon and i and george if we like would consider like taking off the label that we're using or questioning that label, which was good, because, which, which is, was which good is fine. Christian. And so we answered. And I mean, I agree with what you say in terms of like, we should question things. Like I quote Alfred Lord Tennyson all the time that the, there's more faith and honest doubt than there is in half the creeds. I mean, I, you know, as you know, <laughs> I have questioned my church to people's faces and mm-hmm. in private about the things that are going on. And there are some changes that are happening and some that aren't. Um, but there's, you know, there, there's like, I think there needs to be an understanding that like we, we can, st- people can choose to stay in a group to try to affect change and still not always agree oh, with absolutely. everything the group is doing totally. in the same way that, you know, um, I think Lyndon was getting at that. Like you can still say that you're a proud American even if, like, there are Americans that don't represent America the way you'd like it to be represented. And I think what Lyndon and I were trying to say about Christianity is that, like, I'm not going to stop being a Christian just because there are people who represent Christianity poorly. And I'm okay with having to, like, apologize for those people. And when I'm talking to people, say, like, yeah, I know Christianity is a terrible rep because they do X, Y, and Z. And this is why I still... Am doing it, and if they like that, that's fine. And if they don't, that's also okay. Um, but um, but just because like we're willing to say that like 
we are still okay with doing this thing doesn't mean that we think that you're trying to like well we're trying to like box you into something we're just responding to the question you actually asked like when you responded the second time like that's not at all the same as what you'd said the first time yeah i was gonna say if anything it felt like and i don't know if you agree michelle but like you're putting us into a box as christians <laughs> and like, <laughs> yeah. yeah and so that's why we responded that like yeah that's the christians you think of because like you're experience with people of faith you know you've had some bad experiences and my you know i think me and michelle's point is they're just people i mean they're obviously we hope that they're internalizing some of the views of christianity and they're better for it but i mean i can't beat bible beat everybody or i would be a bad christian in and of myself for doing that yeah yeah well I, I think a good christian frankly at least as somebody from the south is just an empty phrase anyways oh, it's yeah. like it's like how was your it's day it's like yeah it's not really there's no there's no real thought behind it. It's just an empty phrase that you say, oh, or at least from where I'm from, oh, he's a good Christian boy or he's a good Christian girl. Like, it's just like. That's what I'm saying. That's I know totally you, what I'm saying. <laughs> like, but, but, but I don't. But you started with more focus on Christian than good Christian. Like, that's that's where we got defensive. If you want to yeah. say like, I, I, and I don't think. There, it really even has much tie to Christianity to say somebody's a good Christian thing because, you know, who knows how many of them actually are. It's just something you say in the South. I, I don't know what I don't know if I can make a metaphor for it, but maybe it's like comrade in a communist country or something. I mean, it's just something you say. It's like Roll Tide, unless you're from yeah. Florida. <laughs> <laughs> and people are saying that to you, Libby, in like, especially like online, it's a defense mechanism. Like you're saying something that makes them doubt if they are in fact actually a good Christian and they are saying, but I'm a good Christian as a, like a mental reassurance to themselves, like, Oh, I couldn't possibly be wrong here because I'm a good Christian. And that's ridiculous. Like they should not Uh, be saying that to you. I I don't know that it's that deep. I think it's more like, to me, it's sort of, when you bring up like the sayings from the South, it's sort of like, um, Oh, what is the one where, um, Southerns will say, uh, it's it's basically just like an F you, but it's in a really sweet, like nice saying. <laughs> like it's like, you know, oh, bless your heart. Yes. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what I get when I hear like, oh, well, I'm a good Christian. It has nothing to do with them trying to like it's not like a defensive thing. It's like, oh, oh, you must not you know, you just don't understand. It, it's, it's definitely giving me the finger when I when I get that, uh, that comment. It's not I a, see both, but I can see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah, <laughs> they, they have in in, in Europe in Europe they have this really cute phrase. Oh, bless their hearts, uh, <laughs> called estado diden, u, u, estado udidense. I can speak Spanish, and I just find it completely ridiculous. Everyone calls us Americans. You know, we're Americans. Deal with it. You know, do I have to crush beer cans on my head? You know, like Stone Cold Steve Austin to prove I'm American? No. America. I, I, one thing I want to cut in on as this transitions to America is um, Dan Carlin. I, I don't know if you guys have listened to him before, but he made a good point on a, I believe it was his political podcast, not his history one, and I, it's been a couple years. But he basically talked about how Americans learn American history and how their views of America change through each decade. And he okay. talked about the 70s as a time where things got a little too Howard Zinn, where we got to look at the worst of America and, you know, questioned everything about it and its authority. And then, you know, Reagan, it whipsawed back in the other direction where yeah. everything, everything was wonderful that America did. And we're not going to talk about what happened with the Native Americans. So I, I do think 
we're in an inning where we're romanticizing hating on America. And I don't know how else to say it. I'm not talking about right now because what we're doing right now is pretty freaking awful as a government. But I, I think historically we're right now we're mythologizing or romanticizing all the bad things that America did and frankly not giving enough credit for what we did. I mean, you almost sometimes wonder if some of these people realize that we were the good guys in World War II and there was a big difference between us and Nazis. And, you know, I, I, sometimes I, I don't know. I just find that frustrating because there is things America has done that you can be proud of. I don't think, you know, we all have to, you know, put put our sackcloth and ashes on for American history. I think there's a lot that we've done right and set an example for the world. That just that being said, we can't rest on our laurels and be OK with what's going on in this moment. But I do yeah. think in academic circles, especially in progressive circles, we're getting in this self-loathing mode about American mm-hmm. history right now that I could live without. Yeah. And even Howard Zinn said when he wrote The People's History of the United States, this is not meant to be an American history textbook. This is the story of the oppressed people. And he never fit for that to be the be-all, end-all of American history. But some people look at that as their history textbook. That's interesting. Yeah, I think there needs to obviously be like a like a, an ability for people to be both and as opposed to either or. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, ability you know. to have nuance. Yes, actually, because... actually, no, that's impossible on the progressive side because they see. <laughs> yeah, I'm... hell yeah, they, it's impossible on the progressive side because everything is a power hierarchy, and they destroyed uh, American patriotism, patriotism first as an imperialist capitalist machine, and then they went after religion as a power hierarchy that uh, suppresses women and minorities so progressives cannot be both because they have yet to design or create the language that allows them to be both both proud Americans and frustrated Americans no both, both Christian and American and that's why the right holds those titles because uh, there is no separation between identity and affiliation, whereas on the left, especially on the progressive side, there is a clear delineation between identity and affiliation. Because if you have a certain identity, you can't be affiliated with an organization. Oh, I see what you mean. Basically, the idea of I group don't. responsibility. You're saying that the, the the hardcore leftists basically hold you responsible for every group that you affiliate with. And so you can't affiliate with it proudly because of the sins of that group. Is that what you're getting at, George? Yeah, exactly. Like if I say that I was a Boy Scout when I was seven years old, I'm suddenly full of toxic masculinity because the Boy Scouts (laughs) did not accept women or uh, LGBTQ scout leaders. No, dude, we went out camping. It was hot and we ran out of water and it sucked. That was my first camping experience with the Boy Scouts, okay? But then we, we learned cool things, like how to do everything MacGyver did on TV. Why? Because I had a really cool scoutmaster that was also a fan of MacGyver. MacGyver, proud American. I, I, honestly, I do think there's something to what you're saying, George. I mean, you're making a gross generalization, but I, I do think that's something that especially the far left really romanticizes is this idea of group responsibility. And I mean, there is something to that because like the whole idea of male privilege, white privilege, but I do 
think at the same time, like, it's kind of ridiculous to hold me responsible for, you know, what people 200 years ago did. That being said, obviously, I'm a benefit. But what about what they're doing today? Like, hold you responsible for what, you know, white males... No, I think that's ridiculous. It's Donald Trump's Donald Trump's life choices are not my fault. You know, I didn't support him. So why should I be just because he happens to be the same color and the same gender? What I mean, are you going to hold me responsible for Hitler? Are you going to hold me? No, no, that's not what I'm I'm saying. I'm a male, just like Pol Pot. So am I? Is Pol Pot my fault because I'm a male? No, but (laughs) okay. So if you if you want an answer. Um, most men, or I should say, you know, most men that were interested in doing this, um, around the Me Too movement, uh, when they took a look at their lives, they realized that there were instances in which they could have spoken up, they could have, you know, changed certain behaviors, um, even if they didn't do them themselves, you know, with their friends or, you know, when, when something was said or if they were, you know, saw a friend taking a girl home or even if they themselves took a girl home and maybe did things that were questionable. Um, and so they were able to look at their own their own behaviors and, and say, like, oh, OK, you know, yeah, I made mistakes. I should I should do better going forward. Um, and so I think that there's, you know, and, and that is is a really brave statement to make because you're basically, you know, admitting to some things that other people find atrocious. Um, and, you know, while I'm not blaming you for Donald Trump, I'm not, I've never, I didn't say that at all. I do think that we could, you know, say, Oh, you know, as a white male, you do have some responsibility to talk to your friends in front of your friends. Uh, when you see things go wrong, it's not um, that, you know, you do have a certain responsibility there and opportunity that, you know, other people don't have. I don't have the same opportunities as a white male to talk amongst other white males. <laughs> they don't talk to me the same way. I can't, you know, have those same casual conversations or have that same, you know, instantaneous trust. Um, so you, you would know, be I, really disappointed in the lack of white males in my friend group in New York. Well, no, that's, <laughs> <laughs> actually, I wouldn't. I'd be really, you know, I would I would not be disappointed at all. Um, but I hear what you're saying. I mean, there's yeah. certainly a responsibility. But I guess there's a difference between it's almost like Again, it's uh, new, positive it's versus negative reinforcement idea. Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> it's the difference between you could be better by talking to people about blank versus it's your fault they did blank. But mm-hmm. it's very easy mm-hmm. to hear the negative version of that than the positive yeah. version. And frankly, the way a lot of columns are written on, let's just say, like Jezebel or Huffington Post, it's a lot more in that negative connotation. Well, you know, it'd be like me saying to Michelle, you know, black on black crime. Why do you let that happen, Michelle? You know, like, that, <laughs> yeah. that, that, you know, yeah. if you read Huffington Post, you get the the white version of that, you know. White males at it again. They voted 60% for Trump, you know, like, okay, cool. I did like, you know, like, what, what do well, you know? But see, I'll say to that end, uh, white, white women, white educated women have probably been the most vilified way more than white men because white men were sort of expected to go ahead and vote for Trump. Whereas the fact that something like 60% or nearly 60% of white educated women voted for Trump um, was a huge, I mean, it was a big deal on Jezebel and having all the things that you're talking about. So I am that, that, you know, uh, well, here's the thing that's interesting about that. Again, I didn't vote for Trump. I didn't, 
But did I do the things I could have done? And we talked about this last episode, you know, that the reality is, is that I do think that Trump is just in, in some ways just as much my fault as anybody else's, even those that voted for him, because I wasn't active in 2016. I wasn't like registering people sitting around trying to figure out how to contact my congressperson, you know, in 2010 like that. So, you know. Am I, and certainly, was I talking to or really talking up Hillary to people that, um, you know, other white women and checking in? No, I wasn't, because I made a lot of assumptions. I made a lot of assumptions. And, you know, yeah, so is it is it surprising to me that, you know, a bunch of white women are brainwashed? No, <laughs> it's not surprising to me. But, um, you know, I do take responsibility to some end because I know I could have done more. I could have. I could have, I, you know, in the same ways that you could have done more in your youth when you were hanging out around whoever it is, you know, or in college and, and there were some drunk people. Like, I, you know, they, there's, there's always situations in which you could have done more. And I think admitting to that and taking responsibility and then moving forward with that information doesn't mean that those articles pointing out that information, the fact that all these white women voted for Trump and no, and everybody seems to be letting them slide on it because, hey, we should be getting out the minority vote. Hey, Latinos, aren't you pissed off about what's going on right now? You should be voting. No, it doesn't give white women a pass. Like that doesn't. Yeah, it, but doesn't at the sense. same time, Libby, it's I don't know if somebody looks at it like a, like if you were going after prospective customers, it's a numbers game. If you go after what's in this argument, go after black customers, they vote 90 percent Democratic. So it's way worth more your time to register to vote black customers versus white where it's a toss-up slash negative so i do think targeted drives towards people that are safer bets to vote the way you want them to vote oh of course of course without question but in terms of like circles and you know am am i surrounded with a bunch of black women to talk on a day-to-day basis no but you know who i am surrounded with a bunch of white women yeah. That's the reality. So no, in terms of my that. sphere of influence, yes, like if I'm going to do some certain activist, you know, opportunity kind of thing or whether it's a voter registration drive, am I going to try, you know, am I going to go to a farmer's market or like outside of a trucker rally? Like, which one do you think I'm going to do voter registration? You know, like, <laughs> I mean, of course, like, I'm not an idiot. But at the same time, you know, knowing who your sphere is, like it's it, I think it's somewhat um, not it's not hypocritical, but it's somewhat lazy or, quote, like easy to go out and do the, the like uh, volunteering kind of stuff and not do the work within your own sphere of influence. So you know what religion. I mean? <laughs> yeah. And I think that that's that's where, like that's that's the thing to me is like. It's, it's, you know, uh, I, I don't, I don't like the idea of talking, you know, when, when I've been to church, I've only been to one synagogue, but when I've been to, um, a couple different church situations, when I hear things about morality being preached to me, and then I don't see the work being done, that's, that's where I get frustrated. Yeah. Well, um, that is a very spirited, uh, discussion that we had about religion, Uh, You know how much I like getting the podcast in under an hour. Uh, There's some news I want to share with all of you today. Libby, guess what happened in New York? I know what happened in New York. I think, is it about a certain democratic socialist? Yes, it's about a certain democratic (laughs) socialist. Yeah. Breaking Joe Crowley of New York, a top-ranking House Democrat, is the party's first incumbent to lose a 2018 primary after a challenge from the left. 
activist <laughs> Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has defeated Crowley. The Associated Press projected Crowley, a member of the Democratic House leadership, Pelosi squad goals, has <laughs> represented parts of the Bronx and Queens since 1999 before Facebook. Ocasio-Cortez, yep. a first-time candidate and the first to challenge Crowley in 14 years, ran on a universal Medicare, a jobs guarantee, and abolishing ICE. This story will be updated. Wow. According to Washington Post. All right, then. To tie back into our last episode, you know, the idea that, you know, if Republicans push too hard, they're going to see a mirror to their faces of what these policies really mean. I, I, we would have never thought abolishing ICE was possible two years ago, and I don't think Medicare for All was super possible two years ago. But showing how ugly health insurance is just, you know, continues to get as they slowly try to take apart Obamacare, and at the same time, how ugly ICE is now that, uh, you know, Trump has emboldened them to be more like a Gestapo, um, we might end up with universal health care and no ICE in less than 10 years, which I, I didn't think was remotely possible two years ago. True that. <laughs> thank you. Thank, th- 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 thank you. Thank you for chiming in from the far left, Libby. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so this was a be- much better podcast than the last podcast we had. So I don't know what it's made me happy this week, George. I'll need everybody else to go first. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I have not been very happy. I've I've been pretty sick, so I'm 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 definitely not in the happy zone. I'm happy for NyQuil. <laughs> That's what made me happy this week. Um, speaking of religion, I went to a Jewish wedding a couple of days ago, um, my first Jewish wedding, and it was amazing just being able to see, um, you know, the. so I'm friends with the woman who's Jewish and her husband is atheist, but because, you know, he respects her, um, you know, he was like, we should do the things you want to do at your wedding because I don't have... I don't have things. Right. Yeah, I don't have the things, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, and so, I mean, he had a lot of influence in terms of, like, musical choices during the ceremony and, um, like, what kind of, you know, like, the fact that things are a little more casual and whatever. But um, but in terms of, like, the how the ceremony functioned, mm-hmm. um, it was definitely, a, you know, a Jewish wedding. And it was just really beautiful to see um, the way that people from, like, otherwise very different um like religious or philosophical like backgrounds in that sense um like clearly we're able to like see past those things and see each other for the humans they actually are um the things that they do have in common and respect themselves like respect each other for the things that are different um which i think we need a heck of a lot more of but it was really nice to and celebrate them exactly and so i think we need a lot more of that and i was really happy to see it this sunday I'm happy Michelle's back. Welcome back, Michelle. <laughs> Thanks, George. Hey. He stole mine, George. <laughs> America. 